This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs, and I'm a founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And I am Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling novelist, and I have one job to do on this show. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and this is episode five of Story Smack. It is a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. In this episode, we're talking about the geeky, super fun commentary on nerd culture, the classic Galaxy Quest. The movie that simultaneously celebrates and makes fun of geekdom, nerds, nerd culture, actors, and the concept of red shirts. Oh, do I love this movie. But before <laughs> we talk about it, mm-hmm. uh, I want to let the anybody listening know what we have coming up. Great. So we have a handful of things already scheduled on, a, on future Story Smack episodes. They are... Friday the 13th, the original, we will review and post on Friday the 13th. Yes. Which is next week. Mm -hmm. On Friday, January 20th, we're going to cover some box office lessons learned from 2016. Um, What hit, what did not, um, which was a success, which was a failure, which Mm. was a giant budget, made a lot of money, but might not have been a win because it was too, all that sort of stuff we'll talk Mm -hmm. about. Okay. And then on Friday, January 27th, Oh my goodness, we are committed to covering all five movies in the Resident Evil franchise. I'm sorry, I'm not sure if you guys heard that. Oh my God, we're going to watch all five movies in the Resident Evil franchise to celebrate the January 27th release of Part 6, Resident Evil the final chapter. These are the kind of things we do for you people. I'm not going to lie. This is how deep we go into the hole to make good content. Yeah. We can't talk too much about it because that's a future episode, yeah. as I just got through saying. Uh-huh. But we did watch, recently watch, the first Resident Evil, which is not, it's a tight little flick. Fun. Super yeah, fun flick. I, and, but I am dreading to see what happens in the next four. We'll see how it Tell goes. Me. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so then, Friday, February 3rd, we'll be looking at the success or failure of the top 10 biggest budget movies of 2016. And that's uh, a very much more deep dive into yeah, that idea. That's like, if you spend a ton, do you make a ton? And if you spend a ton and don't make a ton, what happens? That and also, what are, the, what are the big budget movies? How much original content is in big budget movies these days? Or is it all superheroes and sequels? We, right. will, uh, we will investigate yeah. and then discuss and let you know. But, but, but. Back to Galaxy Quest, because I love this movie so much. (laughs) And I feel bad because two things. One, on Story Smack, we want to talk about stories and storytellers and storytelling. Mm -hmm. We have been covering a lot of movies. I think that will change as time goes on, but there's just so much great. We in the office have so much great so many great conversations about cinema because you are very influenced. A lot of your dramatic writing is influenced by cinema. Correct. And film and whatever. And I am such a big movie buff and have mm-hmm. been such a big movie buff and the granularity of the actors or the, or the directors or the whatever that we have these conversations so we'll we'll wear this out we'll a little bit it. and we'll get some other stories we have yeah. this one really cool story about a storyteller that we hope to tell you pretty soon which is kind of fun yeah. uh, that we'll we know sure. we know and love so but anyway <clears throat> there are very few people your age and my age scott Ziegler, who have not 
who don't know this film. They haven't right. seen it. They haven't heard of it. But I'm sure um, there are those who are not super deep into nerd culture or con culture or whatever. Sure, sure. So can you give us a synopsis? I can. And I um, uh, our drink today is having a glass of wine. I'm having a hot toddy. It's a very rainy day here in San Diego. And it's very cold for San Diego. It's very Diego. cold. For, for San Diego, it's very cold. Oh, yeah. I know all you yeah, Michiganders yeah. And, and Minnesotans, well, Minnesotans and I, are laughing at us. And I and uh, Noisy and Tim and Liz oh, yeah. and uh, Christian are all in New England, and they're probably scoffing at the moment. scoffing yeah. <laughs> at the fact that we're wearing hats in the office. Yeah. So here's the synopsis from Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest is a 1999 American comedy science fiction film directed by Dean Parasote and written by David Howard and Robert Gordon. Mark Johnson and Charles Neuwirth produced the film for DreamWorks Pictures. Parroting television series such as Star Trek and its fandom, the film stars Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Sam Rockwell, and Daryl Mitchell as the cast of a defunct television series called Galaxy Quest, in which the crew of a spaceship embarked on an intergalactic adventure. Enrico Colotoni stars as the leader of an alien race who asked the actors for help believing the show's adventures were real. The film's supporting cast features Robin Sachs as the warlord Ceres and Patrick Breen as another alien. Justin Long makes his feature film debut as an obsessed fan of the television show. So the concept, the storytelling concept right out of the gate is absolutely friggin' brilliant. It's, it's one of those, I saw a documentary a long time ago on the advent of merchandising and transportation of food and food products in America. I can't remember where I saw it, but they talked about the guy who invented the cardboard box, like shipping stuff in a box until then stuff had been like, you see the old, old timey candy jars. Mm-hmm. where they, you know, it's a big glass jar of candy. They would ship that, and sometimes they would ship back. Sometimes they'd get rid of them. And this guy came up with the idea, we're going to ship lemon drops in a cardboard box. And it was an idea that nobody else had ever had before and completely revolutionized everything that had to do with shipping non-perishable goods. This is, to me, one of those ideas. Like, Tell okay, me we're beaming all these, and I like shows like Star Trek. No, it's a parody of Star Trek. Yes. They're, we're beaming all these shows out into space, what happens if an alien race sees these doesn't understand that they are acting. They don't understand the concept of acting. And then they sort of embrace these as a Bible of sorts upon which to found a new religion, but they have the technology to make the ship real and then have use the ship to come back and get the crew of the ship, which will go solve some future problem for them. It's, um, it's a brilliant concept. It is. And, and, it's interesting because it's one of those things that happen every once in a while where it's a, it is a brilliant and yet enormously flawed concept mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. The, the, if it is true, and of course we know that, we send radio and TV signals out into space and they just keep going and we know that. Right. So if it is accessible, so is I Love Lucy, so is The Price is Right, so is every nightly news show. That's one of the caveats of, or one of the cool things about Contact is the first signal, the first television thing broadcast on television signal was a Hitler speech. Yeah. I think the prior to one of the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So when the aliens show up, they have no idea what it is, but they're like, hey, we got your message. Here's Hitler. Yay. Yeah, exactly (laughs) right. Right. So that's enormously flawed that it's going to be this specific show. Sure. And that they're not going to be able to get any more context by the things that are already out in the in the universe mm-hmm. but who cares yeah, who cares because there's it's a magical lot of... and goofy and tongue-in-cheek and lovely and wonderful and we should 
everybody should see it. Everybody, I, I say that about everything. I mean, because we're right in the beginning of Story Smacks so and we're watching things we like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like it all. I'm like, this is a great film and everyone <laughs> should see it. Every week I'm like, this is a great film. Everybody you sound, should you see sound, it. You sound a little bit like the, uh, the aliens from the movie. You say this is. <laughs> tell me, this is a great film. The alien voice. This is a great film, and everyone should see it. <laughs> so anyway, we obviously watched this this week. I am super, super grateful to those of you who are listening to Story Smack and let us know you are watching with us. It's much more fun. It's much more fun. Uh, in fact, Sherry Hare uh, put posted a um, a screenshot about something. And oh, spoiler alert. We should spoil. Oh, right. Let's yeah. let's Story. do that right now. Boom. Spoiler alert about this movie and probably contemporary like movies that these other actors have starred in a little bit. Whatever. Sure. You should know every time you listen. We're going to ruin back. every single thing about Galaxy Quest that we haven't already ruined. Yeah. Uh, Story alert. Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Story. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. But anyway, she posted a specific screenshot with something she found ludicrous, and I laughed and laughed and laughed because I'd never quite seen that, and mm-hmm. it was all she could focus on, which is one of the weapons she didn't think was was quite deadly looking. Uh, but that was great. So please do. We're, we'll do our best to kind of give you a heads up about what we're watching. But we watched this one this week, and we have some notes on the story. And then there's a Mental Floss article, which is great about things you may or may not know about Galaxy 20 Quest. 20 things you might not know about Galaxy Quest. Right. But before we do that, this is uh, obviously a podcast about storytellers. I've said that several times. So mm-hmm. please tell me a little bit about the storytellers. This, I think this is so utterly fascinating. If you've watched this movie... Uh, it's a very, very, very tight script. There's a lot of gimmies in this, a lot of, a lot of MacGuffins, a lot of silliness, as you described it, magic, which is a term mm-hmm. I had never pl- thought to apply to a science fiction movie before. And, but and this is absolutely a, it's a magical story. It's a bit of a fun fairy tale. Um, and it, the script is so well done. These are people who are stepped in both Star Trek and the nerd culture. They, you know they've been to cons. They've talked to actors. It's directed by Dean Parasat, who has directed... Fun with Dick and Jane, Great a whole bunch of TV, like tons of TV, mm-hmm. uh, Red 2, and he is also attached to an upcoming untitled Bill and Ted project. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, I'm excited. I hope it happens. I hope Me it happens. Me too. Um, the script was written by David Howard and Robert Gordon with a story mm-hmm. by David, David Howard. Now, here's where it gets interesting to me. While Gordon has written other movies, let's see, he wrote uh, Men in Black 2, Addicted to Love, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Galaxy Quest is David Howard's only script writing credit. Interesting. I couldn't find anything else related to this. Uh, I, I did check to see if he died. doesn't appear he's died. Why didn't he have more? You know, did he just have this amazing idea than he and uh, the other guy? Um, sorry. Well, did he and Gordon, did Gordon then hammer it out into an actual working script? You know, it's like they're drinking. It's like, I got, you're a screenwriter. I got an idea for a movie. I mean, it could be. It or could he be. was like, yeah, I'm breaking into Hollywood. And everybody's like, awesome. Come on in. And he's like, this is not what I signed up for. It was <laughs> it supposed be. to be. That's very possible. Especially because I know you played in bands in college and I, I lived with musicians my whole life. Yeah. So that's one of the things, not even in college, after college, you were in bands. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things I'll never understand. And me coming from a very highly, like you said earlier this afternoon, I'm not a girl who likes gray area. Mm-hmm. Musicians, I don't understand why you can't show up on time. I just don't get it. I get why you might not go on stage on time, mm-hmm. but I don't understand why a drummer can't set up or can't get there to set up 45 minutes before a gig. I just can't. Okay. So I think sometimes you sort of show up and you're like, yeah, I am not down for this. I'm not down for this. I did that and I went to... Um, an acting conservatory. After I was finished with my 
college, okay. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Art and I was like, okay, one, if you really want to be an actor, you can't get this high all the time. Like, you can't. You're not learning your lines. You're not going to fencing class. And they were like, okay, whatever, narc. Bogus. Like they didn't, they didn't buy in. But we, you know, we were all 25 or whatever. Sure, sure. Uh, but it wasn't for me. I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this. I you can't know, live like this. I hadn't, honestly, I had not, that had never even crossed my mind that he did one movie and he's like, you know what? You can all suck a bag of dicks. I'm not doing this. I, I'm happy to get my, my check and I'm happy the movie's up. I'm going back to Iowa and I'm going to yeah. raise my cows, you know? It could, it's unlikely that that's the case, but especially in our experience, getting into Hollywood, you don't, I mean, some people do by accident, but you don't really do by accident all that often. No, 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 no. It's, so it could be something where he was like, yeah, yeah I'm not. He may have stumbled into it seeing this is not at all what I thought it was and then vacated the premises. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. let's talk about the movie itself. Okay. Okay. Uh, so normally, just so that you guys know how we do this, in case you guys are watching along or watching with us ahead of time so that we talk about it, we uh, have different methods, but we essentially kind of write down, Scott's very centric on uh, what happens at what specific time mm-hmm. in the movie because he's bound to writing scripts. So you have to have the initial action, the initial movement, all that stuff. I just write down funny things. I text them, <laughs> I text them to myself. I think you actually keep a spreadsheet in Evernote or something like that. Yeah, I do. I do. So we're going to start. We're just going to talk about a few of the high highlights. Uh, well, right off the gate, uh, the the opening movie, The Aspect Ratio. And there's actually a little tidbit in here about the um, about that in Mental Floss's article too, I believe. Um, they start out with a square box aspect ratio. I believe it's equal. Old school, you know, seventies, eighties TV. If you watch those things on your big old widescreen TV now, that's set up for cinema viewing. You much of the left and right is cut off, or it's stretched out. So this is such a such a clever little fun thing the director did, or whoever's idea it was. To be like, you're going to see this as if it was an actual late 70s, early 80s TV show. So when you're watching the opening bit, it's on that square screen, and then it bursts into normal panoramic view. I thought that was really, really smart. It kind of set the tone for people who've lived through square screens. You whippersnappers wouldn't know. Absolutely. And, you know, it's an interesting um, uh, thing because one of the great things about Galaxy Quest, it is uh, part satire. It's part behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It's obviously all fiction. Um, but you get to see what I imagine really, truly happens in some of these actors' lives. Oh, like, sure. You know, Tim, at this point, Tim Allen has been on TV and a gigantic, gigantic star with Home mm-hmm. Improvement. He mm-hmm. is as big as it gets on TV, but mm-hmm. he's a TV actor. And he's done a, a handful, of, like a few, couple, two, three movies or whatever, including, I believe, the first Toy Story Yep, but he's animated. He's Bud Light, Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story, mm-hmm. so he doesn't get the facial recognition that he gets yeah. for being in Home Improvement. But Home Improvement is not movies, so he plays this charming, smarmy, exactly what Nathan Fillion today. If you're a congo or yeah. Nathan Fillion today, very it, similar plays this part like if you meet Nathan Fillion at Comic-Con and a handful of years ago I met Nathan Fillion at Comic-Con and he's like hello young lady how are you today (laughs) always acting right and I'm like and I literally it's was the worst moment because I actually honestly said which is totally totally true my mother adores Castle adores it Uh uh-huh 
that's not a thing you want to say to somebody who's essentially your age. My mama loves you. But I couldn't help it because she was so excited. Like, I knew she'd be so I'm excited. I'm from the Midwest and I beg to differer. I loved it. Oh, I mean, mom you loves myself? Say, thank you. Thank you, you. want to, yeah, but of course he always says thank you, right? But you want to say something like, oh my God, I love Firefly so much. I lo- also loved you in XYZ. Okay. And okay. my mother's such a big Castle fan. Will you take a photo with me? She'll absolutely die. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is uh, the same kind of character that Tim Allen as the character plays, as uh, in t- <clears throat> the, the actor plays. Yes. The, the, Tim Allen playing the actor in, in Galaxy Quest, he's like, how are you, young lady, and smarmy, and like, yeah. in the, Engaging, if he was actually yeah. on TV, he, they'd add the little sparkle to his tooth when he smiles kind of thing. <laughs> <Ding>! <laughs> but all of his coworkers are completely unimpressed with him. And because he's a bit of a douche. Yeah. But first of all, I would like to point out to anybody, everybody who saw this, Tim Allen absolutely slays this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's one of those things because he started as a stand-up comedian. I used to watch his stand-up comedy specials, and they were uh, they were lights. They were amazing, and he was a Michigander. So, being from Michigan, we were very Tim Allen centric. And then he has the huge hit with Home Improvement, which I never liked. I never really liked that show. Was not my not my style. Mm-hmm. I did like that they wore t-shirts and sweatshirts of Michigan universities. That part was cool, but the show was a little bit schlocky for my taste. But then, at some point. I thought he becomes this. He's an excellent. He he's an excellent actor in this movie. He kills that role. He does that role extremely well. Uh, and I'm like wondering, like, okay, is it just happened to be the right role for him at the right time, or is he really developed his acting chops, or is he just a freaking natural at this? I was asking about it in the first ten minutes. I'm like, he's really fucking good in this. And that's my argument. My argument is that Tim Allen is an extraordinary actor, right? Uh-huh. And he's very public about his personal life too. He was the stand-up comedian for a long time. He had a huge problematic cocaine addiction for a really long time. Okay. That he talks very publicly about and. In reality, if he was getting gigs as a stand-up and on all the cocaine, which he says he was, Mm -hmm. he had to be so sharp and so good at that performance to get through. I think he's a fantastic actor because then there's the Toy Story movies where he's enormously lovely and wonderful Mm -hmm. and you never even see his face. Yeah. And those are Pixar movies. So it's not like they did the Andy Serkis put all the dots on his face and it's actually his expression. He's he's hanging side by side with two-time Oscar winner Tom Hanks in that. I think he's that good of an actor. He's really underrated. And I think... So many people loved so uh, home improvement for so many years. Mm-hmm. They just assume that that is his natural character. But there's like a coach on Cheers was, which you youngins will have never seen. Sure, that guy was a character actor for a long. Like that wasn't his personality, but that was all you knew him as. Right? I assume that was his actual day to day personality. And I think that's what people <laughs> think about Tim Allen from Home Improvement. Okay. So you're like, what happened to him between Home Improvement and here? And I just think all he did. I personally think all he did was take on a different role. Which is different than Alan Rickman, who's also in this movie. Oh, he's great. And he's so, so great. great. But we also know him. Uh, he's a much more genre switching and, and much more prolific actor. Uh-huh. So it's easy to see him, quote unquote, lose himself in a role. Where I think the same thing is true of Tim Allen. But yeah, I love my first moment where I had to text myself something was the first time that Alan Rickman says, by Grabthar's hammer, which is his, Dr. Lazarus's uh, catchphrase in mm-hmm. the in Galaxy Quest, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's at a con and he's super frustrated <laughs> and he doesn't want to be there. And Tim Allen is being a jerk and it hasn't shown you like they're mad and whatever. And he's like, fine, give me your, give me your stupid thing to sign mm-hmm. and grab those hammer or whatever. And I love it because you, you can almost see that it mattered to him once. Yes. 
and you sort of hope as a viewer it might matter to him again. Well, he's part of the the incredible script writing skill that mm-hmm. takes place in the first 12 minutes. Sure. You've managed to set up all of the characters with who they want to be, who they are stuck being because of their lightning catching lightning in a bottle success of this show that they none of them have ever been able to escape. And part of the reason they hate Tim Allen is Tim Allen revels in it. He's like, oh, I was a giant star in this movie for four years. A TV show, yeah. And TV show for four years. And uh, he loves it. He loves the fans. He loves the convention. He loves watching himself on TV. He is never quite figured out that he is, quote unquote, a joke because he's never done anything else. And that comes within the first 12 minutes. In the first 12 minutes, you've set up the tensions between the cast You've set up everybody's big thing they have to overcome. You know, with Sigourney Weaver, it's she's just sick of the fact that she did one thing on the show, which they beat into the ground, but eventually comes back. You know, and Alan Rickman is this classically trained actor, and he hates the fact that he, of course, he's a Leonard Nimoy parallel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He hates the fact he's never been able to get any other roles because of this, because he just killed it in this particular thing. Well, and I think that's true of Gwen, played by Sigourney Weaver. Gwen, too. too. Uh-huh. She has that, like, right, yeah, I'm still sexy. 20 years later, but I, you know, I would have liked a monster's ball rule like Halle Berry got, you know, like that's what she's saying. And all she's got, which was the line you quoted at, at the beginning of our show, of our podcast. And she's like, yeah, I have one stupid job, but I'm going to do my stupid job because yeah. it's the only job I have. She's like, yeah, you know what? I'm still an actor. And if that's my thing, that's my thing. And she's she's uh, reasonably upset that all she's known for is her boobs for the most part. I mean, they are great boobs. They're great boobs. But in 12 minutes, within 12, now this is uh Hopefully we need to bring some light to people who don't know script writing, movie making. Within 12 minutes, we've gone through that whole arc of Tim, Tim Allen's character, and then his reality comes crashing to the ground in the bathroom, hmm. where, you know, bad things happen in the bathroom. Hmm. It comes crashing to the ground. We've already foreshadowed the alien element, and we're going to see those aliens come in, and we already know we're going to have the, we've already set up the classic Hollywood misunderstanding upon sure. which so many movies are made. 12 minutes in, we've established all the characters, setting, the background, the Galaxy Quest TV show, Tim Allen being a a happy-go-lucky douche, all these things. And then they bring it to a close at the end of 12 minutes with Tim Allen realizing, like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm a joke. I'm going to hit the bottle. Yeah. So uh, the the setup is that he's got two – they've got two appearances Mm -hmm. back-to-back. And the aliens, who are truly uh, ex-Earth aliens – uh, show up at the end of the first of two convention days. Yep. Um, or appearances, anyway. In the climate ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo engineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, It's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And, of course, they're, they look exactly like convention goers. Yeah, it's awesome. Which is the, the meta of this script is there's so many people dressed up like the Galaxy Quest people. And these guys are dressed like themselves, but they, they're socially awkward. They make funny Cause noises. Because they're aliens. Because they're aliens. They, don't, they, they make they, funny noises they because they're aliens. They walk a little aliens. weird. And they've, they, that's the deafness of this movie is they show, yeah, like you said, they fit in perfectly and nobody would give them a second glance. And A and I have been to, I'm going to guess at this point, 30 cons together Probably. somewhere in a ballpark. And we would not bat an, bat an eyelash at these people. Well, and the script is so um, subtle that later, a little later, not right then, you meet them in exactly that moment Mm -hmm. but you find out later they are trying to appear as normal earthlings that isn't their actual state that's sort of to make people less afraid of them yeah and so it's fascinating because you know if i could make people if i could quote unquote fit in even if i could morph from my the body i have at and face and mind and whatever that i have at this moment Mm -hmm. i wouldn't pick me it wouldn't pick me yeah. I'd pick somebody cooler. I'd pick somebody and to them, sassy, like something, but they picked the nerds. <laughs> there's there's no one cooler to them than the humans. Exactly. And, cool. and they're, so they're cosplaying as humans, mm-hmm. which is fantastic because all the humans cosplay as something else. Uh, and then I jump ahead to 19 minutes and 50 seconds. Is that where we meet Sam Rockwell for the first time? No, but Sam Rockwell, if you want to talk about Sam Rockwell, talk I think about him now. Because in 19 sooner. minutes, 50 seconds, something very, very exactly. important happens. So Sam Rockwell plays essentially the red shirt. He's the he's the um, the the shipmate who has no name, mm-hmm. and literally he's like, "Hi guys, I was guy I was in episode, episode six, yeah, yeah, like that kind of thing." Mm-hmm. And I mean, do you mind if I said I brought my own eight by tens? And he totally <laughs> did because he's a bit part actor, and he really wants to ca- do the same thing that that Gwen and Doctor Lazarus, or you know, they, that they are so tired of. That's yeah, all. That's he a wants. good point. All he wants is to do what they're exhausted with. And one thing that's enormously fun about Sam Rockwell's character is so they're like, what? Are, I mean, they're already mad at Tim Allen, and Tim Allen is so involved with himself, he doesn't quite notice. They're like, whatever. Like they just <laughs> don't care. And he takes every shot he can get, just yeah. like anybody else hungry to make a make a star for themselves would do. But he ends up being not only the red shirt, which is meta, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's in a gray shirt, but he's the red shirt. Um, He's also us. He's also, okay, just being on this stage at a con is crazy, people. This is crazy. And then they go to outer space and he loses There's his mind. Two elements to this. Two elements that what we all want. Number one, yes, Sam Rockwell, who's great in this. Mm-hmm. And he wants to be one of this crew and be recognized and be famous and fun. And then he actually gets his dream come true and finds himself in space and absolutely hates it. Yeah. But then there is the nerd, the all of us who are the not not the actor side, but the nerd side. And there's a part of us every time we watch one of these shows, every time you guys read one of my books, there is a part of you that desperately wishes this shit was real. De- desperately wishes, like God it would be. If I mean, I love my life and everything's great, but this is so awesome. If I could do this, it'd be great. Exactly. And I'll, for me, since I'm the non-creative of our partnership, I'll say this. 
there's a part of me that wants to be that wants it to be real, but there's mm-hmm. a part of me that also wants to be able to do what you do. I want to be able to craft a tale that occupies somebody else's mind. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to spin a spin a story or a moment or something that I am the most interesting thing in the room. You know that kind of thing, and I sure. think that's human nature. I think we all want to please other people on some level. I mean, maybe not you because you're the future <laughs> dark overlord and whatever. But I hate everyone. But you know, you yet you craft stories, and the biggest compliment that you can get is somebody spent their time with you. Mm-hmm. Somebody spent time reading what you wrote. That's you say that all the time. It is the most precious thing that they could give you is their time. Mm-hmm. And so I think we all have a little bit of that. Like I want to, I want to be really good at this and I want to shine everybody up and I can do this. I know I can do this. I just need a shot. And that's Sam Rockwell. <laughs> I will take one second just to say if you're uh, totally unfamiliar with Sam Rockwell, okay. it's heartbreaking. Yep. You should, without question, watch 2002's Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Which I still haven't seen. Oh, then and I was a huge Gong Show fan. We talked yeah. about this during the movie. I, I've got to see it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's great, but hi, but the story behind Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is Chuck Barris, who was the host of the Gong Show, mm-hmm. Um, spun a tale, may or may not be true, where he said he was a CIA operative. Mm-hmm. And so his non-on-camera life, his off-camera life, that's how you say that, uh, if that was true, was far more interesting than his camera on-camera life. And yet, not really sure if that was true or that was all in his head. And the movie doesn't actually tell you one way or the other factually what they believe was true. So... Sam Rockwell essentially has to play a schizophrenic, essentially. It's enormously, it's such an enormous powerhouse performance. If you like him in this movie and you've never seen anything else, please watch that. And after you watch that, you have to watch Moon. Moon, Yes, agreed. And I mean, Moon is I'll be honest. There are now some, in Moon, but I'm sure when the guys started writing Moon and started producing Moon, the the general big idea plot conceit in Moon was not as much of a trope as it is now. And now since Moon has come out, it's very, 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 very tropish. But it's basically Sam Rockwell's, it is, I believe he's the only character in the movie. It's a one-man mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. It's a one-man uh, show. It, it is, he's the only actor on in screen. the movie. He's the only actor in the movie. And, man, you talk about being put out on a creative island. You know, yeah, you. It's it's preposterous. That in a craft where you are largely working off of other people. Now, of course, sometimes that's the director, but a lot of times you're, you're working with other actors, working with the whole confines. He does all the heavy lifting, all the heavy lifting in this movie. And it's a, it's a space movie that doesn't look like a cheap movie. So there's a double conceit. He does all the acting himself, which is great. And they somehow make a big budget movie which I haven't looked at the budget, but it can't be that much because one of the big challenges of getting the movie business, if you can shoot a movie, an actual feature film and find a way to make a small movie look big so that you can shoot it. Cause it's a small movie that launches careers and his career was already launched at this point, but he, uh, it's so def- definitely shout Dan- confessions of a dangerous mind and then moon. Right. Which brings us to 19 minutes and 40 seconds. And what happens then? Cosmic butthole. I mean, it's the cosmic butthole. No, every good faster than light travel movie 
needs to have a cosmic butthole. So if you guys watch by, it again. By which I believe Scott means traveling through wormhole or black hole. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really, they, they, they don't specify. Sometimes it's a wormhole. Sometimes it's a black hole. No one pays any attention. But the cosmic butthole opens up and the suppository of characters enter in and then are ejected out of the cosmic butthole on the other side. So that's a great, that's a great part of the movie. And that is the first time, uh, not to dwell too much on this, but it'll get us onto the ship. So what is happening to our actors who are at a convention for the characters they played in Galaxy Quest is they essentially get abducted mm-hmm. by aliens, which this movie never mentions. They are getting abducted by aliens. That's right. For fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. And Sam Rockwell, again, is our analog in the movie. And he is epic. when they, Like, absolutely everything that happens in the first two or three minutes on the ship Sam Rockwell is exactly like I would be like, oh! <laughs> he's he screaming can't, like he can't breathe. He's screaming out loud. He can't make himself physically move. It's great. And yeah. as a counterpart, there's Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. Who Scotty is like, high. like he's got it. But whatever it is, he's like, I mean, fuck it. I guess this is my life now. Like whatever it is. He's like, are you shitting me? I'm in. Here's a little tidbit of trivia for you, ma'am. Did you know? that Tony Shalhoub auditioned to play Sam Rockwell's part. No! And they decided he wasn't right for Sam Rockwell's part, so then, then they gave him the engineering role. Which is so good for him. It's so <laughs> good for him. It's, he is, I think, I think his slow play kind of completely steals the show. So we get into it, and uh, I would like to point out that the good guy ship is horrible. It's a horrible ship. I don't it's a horrible like it. ship. You know why? Why? Because it was a shitty TV show. Oh, yeah. So it's actually sublime because that is sublime, isn't they it? make it based on the what they call the historical document that is Galaxy Quest. Right. And there's several things that f- make absolutely no sense and, and come up in sci-fi now and then. If you are a fan of Eureka, there's a moment where they there's there's a moment in Galaxy Quest. Let me say it this way, where they have to get a beryllium spear. Beryllium sphere, yeah. And a beryllium is the fourth element on our periodic table. It's tiny. It does exist naturally in its non-crystalline vert. It exists sort of in roughly sphere shape. Uh-huh. It doesn't look anything like the one on Galaxy Quest because the one on Galaxy Quest is the size of this table. It's gigantic. It's big. Um, but they have to go get that. The reason it's in Galaxy Quest is they needed something vaguely scientific to say. Mm-hmm. And nonetheless, that actually works out in the great big wide world of our universe. It kind of works and that they don't know that our actors don't know how it functions, just that it functions. Yeah, like a warp, like a warp core antimatter yeah. matter reactor. Yeah, except all of that stuff sounds just like word salad uh, if, to us now. Every time you hear like and that's a sort of a joke about the, the original series. Like, I don't know, you might have to rearrange the phaser array they, or whatever they it is. They put that in. Tony Shalhoub mm-hmm. has that line and he actually shakes his head. He's talking about when the ship is actually damaged. And the brilliant sphere is actually screwed up, and they got to get some kind of impulse power back. The impulse power means you're traveling at normal power, not mm-hmm. fast and light travel. And he's like, uh, he's he's video screening up from the engineering room. He's like, okay, they tell me, and then he closes his eyes, and gives his head just one little shake. Like I can't believe I'm actually saying this. Then we're gonna have to reconfigure the subatomic particle accelerator. Yeah. So they this, which is part of. These the guys who wrote this watched every goddamn Star Trek, and rightfully every so. single yeah, one. And rightfully so. So there's a in the TV show Eureka. There's a moment like that too, where where something that doesn't really make literal sense, which is what the whole show Eureka is about, kind of just works because it works. Sure. Um, but in this, it's a little bit twisted, and that like the 
to help them save themselves, they have to go find this beryllium sphere, whatever. So they do. And every time the aliens, so the aliens, of course, these are their heroes. They're absolute heroes. And they are ludicrously nerdy. And that, I mean, it happened to me when I met Nathan Fillion, but it happens all the time every (laughs) once in a while to you. It's so much so, which is a little behind the curtain, but every once in a while, somebody's so excited they can't. (laughs) <laughs> they can't get to the point of what they want to say to you. Yeah. And you and I kind of have a shorthand where you sort of, you know, give me a little bit of high sign and I will help them say like, oh my God, but what's your favorite character or whatever? And I'll help them get past the, yes. oh my God, oh my God, oh my God part in um, Galaxy Quest. The aliens are so crazy nerdy. It's awesome. At one point they're like, your courage and teamwork through adversity has <laughs> saved us. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you you made a spaceship and came to Earth, and they're like, I know. Ah, it's so, yes, it's so good. And there's which gets us one of the giant friggin' plot holes in this thing. Wait, I'll, but but right around that time, I also have to say, I wrote myself okay. a note because they realize at that moment the actors, uh, Tim Allen and and Alan Rickman and Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver, realize these people think that they're really the crew of this spaceship. Yeah, and they can't even believe it. So they're like, I mean. Obviously, yeah. she, 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 going back to my original, like there's so much media out there for people to see. Mm-hmm. They have seen some of it because Tim Allen says something like, I mean, you don't even, obviously Gilligan's Island and all of the aliens are like, <laughs> and they bend their heads all down. All those poor, and, poor people. Yeah, and like kind of mourn for Gilligan's Island's shipwrecked people. It's great. Uh, I did say that the good guy ship sucks, but now you've uh, completely... Spun my head around on that one. That's really good. Because the bad guy ship is fucking awesome. I'm a huge spaceship fan. I love spaceships and movies and TV shows. That spaceship is badass. The yeah. alien spaceship, I got to get a model of that. I got to put that up somewhere. But not there. the weapons. Sherry makes a good point. The weapons look, are goofball. They, she said they look like hoagies. They look like somebody wrapped a hoagie around the barrel of a gun. <laughs> and she and she's totally right. Because there's even you can even see like this... <laughs> The trussing string that yeah. they use to tie. It's totally a hoagie Sure, record. I will say, as far as guns go, those look delicious. They do look delicious. They look delicious. So the bad guy ship is great. And then at 39 minutes, this is where you're just like, all I want to do is buy these screenwriters a beer. All I want to do is buy them several. I'll buy all their beers for a whole night. Because then you get the first battle happens and there's the fake screen shaking. Although we're now meta meta, which means we're like into actual reality for the characters. The characters realize they're... Fiction has become reality and they know it's reality and there's a space battle. There's all the Star Trek, the fake tumbling, random circuit boards exploding, substandard electrical work. Only only Gwen's uniform gets damaged in a sexy way. Yeah, everybody's falling all over the place. Her uniform magically gets unzipped. To Although see to the be bra. fair, Doctor <laughs> Balthazar's uh, or Alan Rickman's wig kind of. Or, you know, I uh, paid I paid closer attention at this time. The prosthetic on his head starts to fall. It starts to come up yep. and then. Later in the movie, it starts to reseal, and there's actual wounds on the prosthetic. Yeah. And I'm like, what are they trying to say here with this subtext with the character? Or am I just reading shit into things? I think you might have been reading things. So I think what happens is he is an actor, right? I, and this is far deeper than Galaxy Quest needs to be. Mm-hmm. But I kind of think, obviously, his his costume gets damaged in real trauma, in real battle, or whatever. Right. But... These people respect the character that he created, and that's important. So he starts actor. to come into his own as so the character. He, so he fixes it, is what I think. That's happens. what I was wondering. Yeah. Oh, I he think, fixes it off I screen. Think the, yeah, the, the 
actor that Alan Rickman is playing is like, wait, but this is part of their reality and I don't have any reason to disabuse them of this right. reality. So I'm going to just fix this. So many, so many little subtle touches and delights. In and this. I think that's the reason because the first time we meet him, mm-hmm. he is sitting in front of a makeup mirror, messing around with a makeup sponge. It makes whatever. you wonder something's cut. That that's a good point. No, I actually think what happens is that's that's the the director or the screenwriter or the DP or whoever showing us. Yeah, they obviously show up and do all their own makeup. Okay. So that so. an hour later, two hours later, when they're in space, there's obviously no makeup person in space, but you learn that Alan Rickman does his own makeup. That's, That's like meta, 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 meta. That's deep, dog. It's a great show. That's it's a deep, great movie. dog. So I have, a, I have a point to make about the end of this movie, but okay. if you have any other points to make about uh, everything between space butthole, awesome alien spaceship, and the end of the movie, you should make them now. Uh I think I've won. I'm not really sure what the end of the movie means to you, but I'll say this. Um, One of the things that happens at the convention is this group of kids waits in line, uh, including a very young Justin Long, who Mm -hmm. was the Apple, uh, the Mac in the Mac, the John Hodgman Mac uh, Mm -hmm. commercials and has done a handful of things since. Uh, Justin Long is the kind of the leader of this group. His name is Brendan, and they are huge Galaxy Quest nerds. They know everything about everything, and they they come up. They wait in line to get autographs. They pay for autographs so that they can act. They they can ask a very specific question right. about phaser arrays or something. Mm-hmm. And by that time, Tim Allen has realized that his castmates are kind of disillusioned with him, and they, he doesn't quite. Understand. And so they're all crabby. Except for Sam Rockwell, who's thrilled to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, yeah, whatever, kid. And then they run into them later when the aliens are uh, scooting them to the limo. They run into them again, and they physically run into them. And, of course, the classic movie switch, the transponders or whatever yeah. gets switched. Mm-hmm. So they get to reach out later in the movie to Brendan um, from space and say, hi, it's, it's uh, Commander Tag, whatever, it's me. Can you help me? And, of course, they know more about Galaxy Quest than the actors do. Sure. And they can do all that work and they can figure it out. computer maps and models and logbooks and all kinds of things. And he's still like a teenager in his mom's house. So his mom's like, <laughs> put away your laundry, take out the trash. He's like, okay, mom, I'm trying to save the world. He's like, <laughs> she's like, fine, take it after you take out the trash. She's like, he's like, five minutes, please, mom. And he's so mad because he's trying to save the world. Uh, and then there's actually a scene where... Tim Allen's character is like Brandon, Brandon, screaming into that the information. Talk to me, screaming into the transponder, and you see Brandon taking out the trash. <laughs> it's awesome. So, <laughs> so stinking. The Bre- and and uh, I'm I don't know what's happened with his career, but man, he just Justin Long is wonderful in that role. Absolutely oh, and we wonderful. Forgot, we were watching you identified Rain Wilson, Rain Wilson. as one of the early oh, early on as one. Funny substory before you get to the end of the movie. I'm looking. I'm like, is that Rain Wilson? And I said, is that the guy from The Office? And then you mentioned the other guy from The Office. I'm like, no, 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 not that guy. The other guy, Rain Wilson. I'm like, that's, is that Rain Wilson? And you're like, and I think we paused it. You said, we paused it. And you said, dude, if that's Rain Wilson, you're very good at this game. I'm like, normally I'm horrible yeah, at this game. You're normally horrible. So at then this we, game. we go to, we go to the Googles and mm-hmm. we look up Rain Wilson, Rain Wilson Galaxy Quest. And the first thing that pops up is an image that is exactly the image we paused it on <laughs> on the screen. And uh, he, I don't think he's in the rest of the movie, but he's all no, bright he's and bushy No, he's one of the tailed. landing party there. So he's bright just at the tailed. convention. So man, at the end of this movie, uh, I know we've gone meta, meta, meta. I'm going to go meta cubed. No. What is squared? I'm going, no. What is four? Quadded? Cubed. Cubed is three. Uh, quadded. I know some of, our, uh, some of our listening base will know what the fuck this is. Meta, 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 meta. Get to the end of the movie, 
they have again borrowed not just from Star Trek the TV show now they show they borrowed from Star Trek the movies the first four movies it's true they've ejected the saucer the equivalent of ejecting the saucer and they have flown that down to the Los Angeles Convention Center mm-hmm. and they have crashed in the parking lot as Justin Long waves them in uh, we have been to a lot of conventions you and I how many people do you think would have died by this giant ship crashing into the actual convention center? I mean, to be fair, like Balticon, you could probably land a spaceship at the in the parking lot slash crash it into a wall. This Not is that more, many people would die. You but think so? Was, I mean, I think a lot of people, but it sort of it's bigger than Balticon though. It's oh, bigger way than Balticon. Bigger. Yeah, it's yeah. kamikaze sized or yeah, or, kamikaze. Or WonderCon sized, and that would be a lot of people. It's although, a con, it's a confusion. It's a confusion sized con, yeah. perhaps. Anyways, although what? So yeah, they do. They crash and through the building, and then they come out all disoriented because they're escaping the crashed spaceship. But the MC who has been waiting for them, which again, screenwriters hat tip to the screenwriters, we've established they always go on late because Tim Allen's always late because he's so impressed with himself <laughs> and he knows that's they'll a wait. Good right? point. That's a good point. So, the, so well done. Yeah. So the MC is just riffing along, and this is one of the most sublime moments in the movie for me. Uh, you know, whatever Gwen comes out first, and they're like. And I don't know the character's name for her, mm-hmm. but they're like, Gwen, whoever, Gwen Pearson, which is actually Bug Girl, but whatever, Gwen Pearson uh, as whoever, and, ah, and the crowd goes wild. And then like Tim Allen comes out, and then the um, Wesley Crusher analog comes out, and all that, and, and then Sam Rockwell comes out, and they're like... And another shipmate. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it makes it's me real so subtle happy. too. Yeah, it's so happy because it's yeah, it isn't a big focus item. They're just it's kind of in the background, and the eyes are you know, the camera's yeah. on Sam Rockwell, and he's thrilled to death to be thrilled there. Thrilled to death, and he winds up getting his role when they do the reboot. And, and he's uh, got a title credit and everything. There is just so much feel good in this. It should probably have a prior for con- you know an un- unquestionable contact or something. It's just, it's a feel good movie to the level which somebody should get arrested. It's so much feel good at the end of this. I mean, I think that's too much feel good. but yeah. that's fine. But no, you no, said, no CSA in this one is what you're saying. No, okay, no. But I do think you said you had a mental floss. Article. I do, I do have a mental floss article, and we are now we're timing this. We're at 43 minutes, which I didn't think we'd get, I thought we'd go through this real quick. We should have known better. We're but we're, we're ver- chatty motherfuckers. We are verbose bitches, yes. the two of us. Um, I'll just riddle through this. Number a few one, of them, yeah. the film had to cut out some salty language in order to get a PG rating. This is important because because some of the original dialogue is easy enough to spot. For instance, during a memorable scene, Sigourney Weaver yells, screw that, but her lips are quite clearly saying, fuck, fuck that. that. Yeah. Yes. The film took aim at critics before it even hit the big screen. Love that. Now, we talk about this all the time because... It's one thing to get bad Amazon review. It's another thing if somebody happens to be the New York Times or the sure. Vancouver or whatever, and they rip on you because they have this bully pulpit from which you're not allowed to respond in any way, shape, or form. Even if it's clearly like, you didn't read the book. You're making shit up. But this is a thing where, you know the big baddie, Saris? Oh, we forgot to talk about Saris. What a ridiculous alien. I like the wasp wings flipping out in the back. What's up with the spider legs on top of the head? Lobster legs? More lobster legs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. I didn't I like know. it at all. It served no evolutionary purpose whatsoever. And he's clearly a lizard-based character, but bipedal. Which is which is fine. There were bipedal alien there were bipedal dinosaurs. I'm okay with that. Anyways, uh well done alien. It was evolution stupid. The Ceres, he was reportedly named after film critic Andrew Ceres, who was outspoken about his dislike of producer Mark Johnson's previous effort, The Natural. First of all, 
how do you be critical of the natural? What kind of cold black heart do you have that you don't like the natural, Mr. Saris? I mean, I think probably there... I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not unfamiliar with his criticism, but I will say you could probably, if you're a critic, uh, and that's your job, you could probably have criticism. However, yeah. you could also pick it apart to make a name for yourself, which it seems like you do. Which happens, as we know, as much as I watch co- coverage of the sports world, being a giant asshole and making up controversy is how you get rich and how you get famous in the world of sports. Yeah, but we don't coverage. know what his criticism was. They we don't. Could've, it could have been legitimate criticism. Could have been legitimate criticism. Uh, a fake documentary about the film aired on E! in 1999, and we will link to this in the show notes. It's friggin' fantastic. Oh, so I haven't seen it. They go out and do, and this is about the time Blair Witch came out, right? Rough, roughly, Ballpark? Mm, I don't know. I'll look it up while you're talking. Ballpark, Blair Witch did a thing. Tell a story to tell a story. Blair Witch did a thing where they did a documentary on the actual Blair Witch mythos in which they hired actors and talked, basically treated the main characters disappearing from Blair Witch as if that was its own dark news or urban myth mm-hmm. and followed the sheriff around and all kinds of scientific diagrams. And of course, Blair Witch set the mold and broke the mold because there were people going, is this a real thing? Did this, the, the question was, was there actually a Blair Witch? Of course, this is a movie. We understand this is a movie, but getting lost in that milieu of was wait, is this a real urban legend? And mm-hmm. did people is this based on a true story? Which the whole thing was made up, which is what made it so much goddamn money, right? And I I, I know I've talked about this. I think on a different story smack event where I went to see the Blair Witch at a venue that had artifacts. Oh wow! And was completely. You were completely, completely enamored. And it, I mean, Hornswoggled is a little a lot because okay. in t- you almost immediately after you leave there and go to a diner, talking to people who are like, yeah, but that's actually all fictitious. But you're, in you, the moment, I was totally in. You're a very rational person, though. So you were enamored. I would have been Hornswoggled. Um, just to answer your question, um, Blair Witch came out in July of 1999. Galaxy Quest came out on Christmas Day, 1999. They, so... so- it, it seems obvious if you guys go to scottsigler.com slash podcast slash galaxy quest, one word, uh, you will watch this documentary. If you're familiar with the Blair Witch Doll, they were either they both had the same idea or people were kind of aware of what's going on in Hollywood. Like, they're doing that. We got to do one of those. So it's a, it's a fake documentary about the actual TV show and Tim Allen and the other characters are in it. We will link to that over at the site. It's called Galaxy Quest 20th Anniversary. The Journey Continues. Uh, this is an old list. I'm gonna. I'm ready to bring this down. I'm gonna bring this crashing down to Sad Town. Can I take the bus to Sad Town? I mean, I, if you have to. Number five. There might still be a sequel, but there won't be a sequel now because mm. this article came out before Mr. Alan Rickman passed away. And I, mean, I have just... read further, and there will absolutely be no Galaxy Quest sequel because they won't do it without. They him. won't do it without without. Alan I mean, Rickman. that's bittersweet. That's good. It's, it's sad, but it's good. That's how. I mean, I think it would be hard for me for them to sort of do like a a thirty second. It would have been great. Well, it's more. It's more faith. It's actually more faith in humanity. I'm not saying that Galaxy Quest two would make like a hundred million dollars profit. It would absolutely make money, and the people involved are like, you know what? It's just I don't want to do it without him. It's not worth this payday. So I think that's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It is listed, Galaxy Quest is listed as the seventh greatest Star Trek movie ever made. I love it. That's great. And going back to aspect ratio, in the theaters, they the first 20 minutes of the film 
were presented in the 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio, which was traditional old school television ratio, before blowing out to the 2.35 to 1, which is the widescreen ratio, when the spaceship lands on Thermia. So they keep it tight. In the theaters, they kept it tight until it lands on Thermia, and then it blows wide open, almost to, to, to catch you in the milieu of, okay, now the characters fully accept that this is real life, and then they give you what we're used to in real life. It must have been amazing to see it in theater. I didn't see it yeah. in theater. Uh, the film was the first to ever use its own website. That's nice. kind of huge. Interesting. We're so, the internet is pervasive and everything now to think this is the first movie. And it wasn't just a website for the movie. It was a fake website dedicated to the TV show by superfan Travis Lackey. I love it. Who's completely made up. Of course. They made up. So like that's. Well, pro- and that comes out. So Jane Silent Bob do that as well. Okay. Um, and it's a, it's a subplot i wouldn't say it's a huge plot point but it's a subplot where they're looking at their own uh re- they're self-referencing on mm-hmm. the internet which is good yeah I, but that's but way later i have to admit jane silent, is that jane and silent bob strikes back yeah uh as a creator who has to deal with online reviews from people who clearly have some other issues going on when they show up at the end of the movie to beat the shit out of the online reviewers. <laughs> so my, it's probably my single favorite scene mm-hmm. in the history of movies. Because, God, I would, lo- I would love to do that so bad. Um, number 10, the film Spaceship includes a nod to Star Trek. The NSEA protector serial number is listed as NTE-3120. NTE is believed to be short for not the Enterprise. We saw covered film was Justin Long's feature debut. It was Rain Wilson's first movie. It was originally known as Captain Starshine, and it was set to be directed by Ghostbusters Harold Ramis, who was also passed on. Uh-huh. Uh, Ramis reportedly left the project. He left the project when they insisted on casting Tim Allen in the lead role. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, if you're Harold Ramis, you have a chance to do that. Yeah, well, he, he, has not, he was not hurting for money. Right. Well, and, and you have, you've proved your vision is value-adding. Yes. And his vision was to put Kevin Klein in the lead role, which would have also been absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've not seen A Fish Called Wanda, you need to absolutely bump up your Netflix queue to include A Fish Called Wanda, which in my, in my consideration is Kevin Klein's greatest work. Let's see. The film itself promises a return that also echoes Star Trek. At the end of Galaxy Quest, a trailer touts return of the fake television series slated to come back a full 18 years after the show originally aired. Star Trek also saw an 18-year gap between two of its television series, 1969, the TOS, the original series, to 1987. And like Galaxy Quest, its film outings were not included in that gap. And things get so incestuous in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Who, who started by Centennial Man? Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yeah. Tim Allen almost starred in by Centennial Man instead. Yeah. Some of Robin Williams' coolest work. Um... Justin Long almost lost his role to some other well-known actors, uh, Kieran Culkin, Eddie Kane Thomas, and Tom Everett Scott. And we can thank, last one is, uh, you can thank Steven Spielberg for the romantic subplot. When the director visited the set, he suggested that Missy Pyle's alien role be expanded, which is why a subplot involving a romance between her and Tony Shalhoub was added in. So at that time, Spielberg was the king of the entire fucking universe. I mean, he might still be. He might still He's be. Steven Spielberg. But he was the king of the fucking, this is way before Crystal Skull, king of the universe. He said, I think maybe you should have a romantic subplot. They're like, make it happen. And Sigourney Weaver kept her wig when the shooting was over. All right. That is my list. That's Mental Floss's list. That's, well, uh, yes. I read the Floss of Mental List, <laughs> yes, which yes. by the property of conduction means it's my list. So, um, uh... 
it looks like the critic evaluation was Rotten Tomatoes. They loved it. Love it. Um, but interestingly, in a weird turn of events, the actual moviegoers liked it less. I like it less on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes was 90% for the critics. And 87% for the viewers. Which no, is 78%. 78%. So that's significant. Usually critic, uh, viewers like something more unless it's, unless it's a really well-written screenplay and then the critics like it better. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what happened. It's a really well-written screenplay, but also you have to be somebody who is a Star Trek fan, a convention oh, yeah, goer, forget about or that. whatever. Like it, it, you don't have to be all those things. But there's a lot of cross-pollination, but you have to be one of those things, right? So my brother, who's a Civil War buff right. and a history buff, mm-hmm. he liked Galaxy Quest just fine. But I'm not so sure he loved it and stops every time he sees it on TV. He didn't catch all the in-jokes and he's never been to a con. So yeah, right. I can, so I can see your point. it's sort of a smiley, fun, lighthearted so if movie. If you're a con-goer, it's 100, period. It's flat out 100. If you're right. not a con-goer, it's a decent 72, you know. I'm Or 78, it looks like. Looks maybe. like 78. Yeah. Well, the seven would get 72 to bring it right, down. You're right, you're right. That's you're math, ma- ma'am. And writers know For the math. first time in our entire nine years of working together, I have outmathed you. It's momentarily It'll outmathed. probably be the last time, but it's At least the one for time nine years. Yeah. I am the math king of Kentucky. I mean, well, well we're not in Kentucky <laughs> and there's no kingdom, but uh, that is our show for this week, ladies and gentlemen. If you have questions for Scott or for me, or you have a topic you would like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Smack, please email us at info at emptyset.com. That is I-N-F-O at emptyset.com. You can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us uh, and our show online at scottsigler.com slash story smack, and we would love to see your comments there. I will add a little note. Several people have started asking if we're going to have our own story smack webpage or how to find story smack specifically, and I think that's coming. It's coming in the future. But... Mr. Singler has a, you have to do four or five episodes, get in the groove before you start advertising. Your voice. So we're following Mr. Singler's advice and doing exactly that. But we will let you know right here when that's not the case. So you can find uh, scottsigler.com and Scott Singler Audiobooks at, uh, or on iTunes at Scott Singler Audiobooks. Subscribe there. You'll get every Story Smack, but you'll also get a free audiobook episode every Sunday and a big hit of Story Smack every Friday. Come back next week, the next episode, and we will talk smack about Jerry, Jason, 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 Kill, 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 ah, 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 Friday the 13th. Ah, 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 Good night, Scott Sigler. Good Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. 
Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.